Okay, um, you know, we've been in a series uh, on Jacob uh, for, for several weeks. Uh, whether you've been to just a couple of the messages or several of the messages, uh, it's not hard to see uh, the truth uh, that no one in Scripture illustrates the inner conflict that we all experience in a more exciting and even enlightening way than, than Jacob. And in our study of his life, we've come to a critical turning point. And I'm not just saying that because I'm the one bringing the message this week, that this is the most important one. But we come to a critical turning point today. One might even call it the most crucial moment of his entire life. You see, up until this point, Jacob has certainly lived up to his name, taking every advantage that he can find to get ahead in life. But that's all about to change. How dramatic is it? Let's put it this way. Uh, what we look at in a little bit, when the sun goes down, his name is Jacob. But when the sun comes up, his name will be Israel. At 8 p.m., he's the cheater. By 6 a.m., he's the man who wrestled with God. Before that night, he was in good physical condition. After that night, he would walk with a limp. This night by the Jabbok River is going to make all the difference in Jacob's life. He meets the Lord in a powerful way, and his life is going to be changed forever. One of the things that we've learned about Jacob is that he's complicated. If you've been here for any number of weeks, he's very complicated, just like you, just like me, just like your wife, just like your husband, especially like your mother-in-law. But he has a story, and it's, it's a big one. It's a doozy. And I know as I've sat in your seat and listened to this story, there's a lot of things that I felt like I could relate with. I don't know if anyone could relate to all of that but I could relate to a lot, lot. And today we're going to look at a passage in Genesis chapter 32 a little bit later, uh, and I'm going to give you a sneak preview where, where Jacob is literally going to wrestle with God through the night. You see, all his life, Jacob has been wrestling. He's been wrestling with his family. He's been wrestling with the truth. He's even been wrestling with his own identity, who he is. In fact, the first time that we're even introduced to him in Scripture, he's wrestling. I don't know if you know that. And he hadn't even been born. He wrestled with his twin brother Esau, believe it or not, when they were in his mother's womb. You see, Rebecca, his mother, had been childless for a long time, just really longed to have a child that was obviously, it's a big deal now, it was an enormous deal then. And so she became pregnant, and the scriptures had said that the babies jostled each other within her. And, and moms, I know all of you can relate to the next words that came out of her mouth after that passage. She said, why is this happening to me? Okay. Can you relate to that? She, I mean, just any number of things, but she's feeling them wrestling, and she found out she was having twins. And the first time we see Jacob, we see that he's holding on to his brother Esau's heel. Esau was born first, and Jacob came out holding his heel. And one of the translations for his name is heel grabber. And just think about that. He stuck with the nickname from before he was even conscious. Okay, if you ever have a label or a name or a, a reputation and you go, that's so long ago, I think Jacob beats you in that. You can get stuck with something before you even make a decision in life. But you could say that Jacob was born trying to get ahead in life. To be the firstborn in that culture meant infinitely more than, than ours as far as privilege and, and benefits. You get a bigger piece of the pie, a more sizable amount of the inheritance. And in this situation, in his life leading up to his first big mistake, Jacob had to be thinking, if I could have just been more, born 15 minutes, early, 15 minutes earlier, 15 seconds earlier, 
and I could have gotten more. And if there's any parents in here, I know you could probably relate to me that you never have to teach your child and make much effort to teach them the word me or mine. I mean, anyone had to really struggle to get your child to think about themselves? I, I, don't, I don't think anyone's really had to do that. You may have to teach them to say please. You may have to teach them to say thank you. But that's um, the natural instinct in all of us to be me first. And you know, something that we see in Jacob and we see in our own lives is that living a me-first life, it's miserable. I mean, if we're honest and we see where it leads, it is a miserable life to lead. Because how can you first, first of all, how can you have a God-first focus in a me-first world? Is, that, is it even possible? Because our instincts, naturally, I and mean, we have to fight them, are to, are to be all about ourselves first. The instructions we're getting from the world are me first. All the marketing messages that we're getting day in and day out are, are me first. Is it even possible to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness in a me first world? In Matthew 19, Jesus said, many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Jesus is saying in there, you don't have to be ahead to get ahead. Like many things he says, it turns what we think totally upside down. But Jacob's trying to be first, even as a baby. He subconsciously wanted to get ahead. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, what good is it to gain the whole world and yet lose your very self? I mean, it's just powerful, no matter how many times you've heard it. We grasp at things like status security, stability, and in the process, we run the risk of losing our very selves. If you write down anything, this is a key one. Like Jacob, we give up what we want most for what we want now. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, because we say, here's what I want, and if you truly wanted that, you wouldn't take the path you do, but you, you go after what you want now ahead of really what you think you may want most. And when you're centered on yourself in life, the truth is, it's just never enough. C.S. Lewis, as always, had an insightful take when he says, we don't take pride in the possession itself, but in, but in having more of it than others. You see, this me-first life leads us to a bad place. With Jacob, what we find out, and again, there's a little bit of review. We've been doing this for several weeks, but leading up to our time. But with Jacob, we found out that this me-first perspective, I mean, he put on the altar and sacrificed two of his closest three relationships in his life. To review, when he was younger, he tricked his father into giving him the blessing that was meant for his older brother Esau. Okay, where did he think this was going to go? I mean, how did he think Thanksgiving was going to be after that? Oh, they didn't have That's okay. Where did he think this would end? I mean, he even dressed up in animal skins and pretended to be Esau in order to steal the blessing. You know, we also put on costumes. We put on a front to get the things we think we need. And we all can have a gap between the person that we want to be and the person we are. And there's temptations to fake our way to bridge that gap, to get what we want, to have the upper hand. And Jacob got the blessing that was due to his brother Esau by pretending to be someone he wasn't. But because of his deception, he immediately went on the run, spent 21 years on the run. He got exactly what he wanted, but he never got to enjoy it. Don't forget, God cannot bless who we pretend to be. God cannot bless the image that you present. 
if it's not you. He can't bless the lie to go so far that you could be living. And he can't bless Jacob dressed like Esau. You know, as I was thinking about it, I know there's the me as I am and there's the me that I want to be. And as I think about the me I want to be, he's pretty awesome. I mean, if, if you would know this me I want to be, I mean, he's the kind of guy you'd want your daughter to marry or you'd want to marry. I mean, everyone would want to marry the me I want to be. He's the kind of guy, if I ran for political office, you would want to vote for, okay? Believe me, I'd be amazing. Okay, no, no political statements, but he's the kind of me that he's consistent, he's kind, he's disciplined, but yeah, he can have fun. The me that I want to be, man, he would be unbelievable. But there's the me I can see and the me that I wish I could be And so what we can tend to do is we can project an image. Rather than doing some of the hard labor on our identity, and we're going to get to that in a little bit, we can project an image of who we are that may not be real consistent. What good is it if you gain what you want, but you lose yourself in the process? What good is it to lose yourself? What good is it to get the blessing of your father if you can't even stay in the house after, or if you have to hightail it out of town? like Jacob did. He got the blessing, but he lost himself. And for us, it may be other, other things. It may be we get the possessions, we get the status, we get the acclaim, but in the process, we lose ourselves. And it takes Jacob decades to see this. And after 21 years of running, he wants to head home. Perhaps there can be reconciliation. Perhaps things can be made right. Uh, you know, I'm starting to realize as I look through all this and read through all this and hear these messages that I'm starting to understand more why he was gone for so long. As you know, he, he worked for 14 years to, to get two different wives, a longer story in previous messages, but he loved Rachel, wanted to marry Rachel. We remember that. Woke up after the wedding night, and there's her sister Leah. Apparently, he married the wrong person. Chris goes into that in a more, little more detail in previous messages. And then Laban, his very untrustworthy father-in-law, says, well, if you want to marry Rachel, you have to work seven more hard years of labor. And so he does it. And some would think, oh, what a love story. He must have loved Rachel so much. You know, this is Hallmark Christmas all written all over it. I mean, if, not that we don't have enough of those uh, stinking movies. I hate them. Okay. Um, the DVR just gets full, and they're not for me. Let's just say that. I'll just leave it, leave it right there. But you have to wonder, you have to wonder, with all he went through with Laban, where else would he go? He's spending his life running, and, you know, we're all on some level born with a sense of justice, aren't we? A sense of right and wrong. And I just think as I look through this and read through it, I'm thinking he took that from Laban because he probably thought he deserved it on some level. But now he's ready to head back home. He's married two lovely women. He's had these kids, all good things. I'm sure there's some good things in his life, but his tank is still empty. He spent 21 years on the run, waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I'm guessing there's a lot of people in here that are like me, that if you put off difficult decisions, it just makes it more difficult. I mean, you don't have any of the peace, you don't have any of the joy in your mind. You know, it may not be that you put it off for two decades, but some of you may have a relationship that's been left unattended to for that long. It's probably not as extreme but it hasn't just gone away. Perhaps there's a conversation with a friend you need to have that you should have had weeks or months or years ago, but it's hard. It's difficult. Um, maybe there's an email or even a voicemail that you need to deal with. 
You know what happens to me? If I have an unresolved conflict or issue, it occupies, it occupies real estate between my ears. I was on a beach uh, in Southern California during a vacation a couple years ago. This, this is true. And I, got a, I saw a call come in, and I tried to really turn it off from, from work. And it was from an area code from where we had a project that wasn't, there were just some issues with it. Nothing I could solve, but it's things that just took up a lot of space. And I thought, oh, something's not gone well with that. But I'm thinking, okay, I'm not going to listen to it. I'm going to just try to think about different things. And for the next 24 hours, you know what I found out? All I thought about was that. I mean, I, I like lost a day of vacation. Everyone ever, ever related to something like that? And then I finally just checked it the next day. I'm like, I got to put this baby to bed. And I know it wasn't even from the person I thought it was going to be from. And so I let that take up residence. If I don't resolve it, it takes up space. And so um, it can rob us of that peace and the joy. But imagine with Jacob the weight on his shoulders as he's making his way back to resolve that issue with Esau. Imagine the weight on his shoulders through all of these years. Okay, Jacob didn't live in a world like we did. He didn't have the distractions. He couldn't, you know, refresh Facebook comments every 25 seconds, you know, you know, Instagram. He wasn't just keeping himself occupied with other things. He wasn't able to binge watch Breaking Bad for several hours and totally lose himself or like Chris likes uh, uh, Gilmore Girls. But, you know, he wasn't able to do all those distractions. And, but all he had was time. I mean, if you think about it, you're walking everywhere, no car stereo, no iPhone, no headphones. I mean, all you have is time. And he's doing this labor. He's doing this work. How, I mean, seriously, how much had that had to weigh on him? It was, I had to, I have to think it had to be an ever-present reality daily for Jacob to think about that relationship gone wrong. But as we see, before he can work it out with Esau, there's still work to do. Jacob has to come to grips with his own identity before he breaks those chains. And the truth here is that once God has reconciled you to yourself, you ever think about that? Once he's reconciled you to yourself, then he can reconcile you with others. So we come to the moment of truth in our message today where he wrestles with an eternal God. And this takes place where Jacob is camping along the banks of the Jabbok River. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, but let's just go with it. Uh, but it flowed into the Jordan River, and he's somewhere in the mountains of Gilead, literally like on the border of the Promised Land. That's significant because 20 years earlier, it's the Promised Land that he was leaving, when he was leaving, the Lord appeared to him near Bethel and said, I'll go with you wherever you go. And then God said, I'll bring you back to this land. And so that promise is about to be fulfilled. And as with Jacob, our deepest experiences with God are often preceded by a personal crisis. You know, there's times in some people's life where I've actually, I mean, prayed because nothing else got their attention for challenges. Because until people sometimes have discomfort or a crisis or a trial, then they're not opening themselves up to a different path. They just run that hamster wheel, doing the same thing and expecting different results. And Jacob is no different. His, his crisis can be summed up in one word, Esau. For 20 years, he's lived with the memory of how he cheated his brother, not once, but twice. For 20 years, He's dreamed of going home, but each time that dream has become a nightmare when he thinks of Esau. For 20 years, he's wondered whether his brother still wants to kill him. And even if you read earlier in Genesis 32, where I read the later part, uh, before this encounter with God, you can understand why he's worried because several days earlier, Jacob had sent some messengers out to meet with Esau with a message of peace and reconciliation. 
And the message that they brought back was ominous. Genesis 32, 6. We went to meet your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Sounds promising. No, I mean, you know, it's kind of like, that does not sound like a good opportunity for Jacob. How would you feel in that situation? Maybe he's brought 400 people to kill him, to settle the score. And so you have to think Jacob was frightened, and, and that's in the morning, so night has fallen on this campground, and he's left to wonder what tomorrow will bring when he comes face to face with the brother that he cheated so long ago. So in this situation, there is unfinished business, and most of all, us know about unfinished business. Maybe your unfinished business is you have a broken relationship that you re just really hoped that time was going to heal, or a lie that you hope would never catch up with you. you know, you're, you're counting on the fact that time heals all wounds, but maybe that works if it's a flesh wound, but heart wounds often don't get healed by very much time. Mark it down. Sooner or later, if you have unfinished business, you have to go back and finish it. You've got to go back, confront the past. You have to own, up, own it, and you've got to come clean about your mistakes. And Jacob's learning the truth the hard way. His memories of the past, as they float back to condemn him, as he fears that his meeting with his brother will overwhelm him, God is preparing him for an encounter that's going to change him forever. And we pick it up in verse 22 of Genesis 32. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and they crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions, so Jacob was left alone. Jacob is alone, and you could maybe even say alone at last. God has at last gotten Jacob right where he wants him. It's God and Jacob. Everyone else is on the other side of the river, and now God's ready to use this time. The last time I believe that we see God speak to Jacob in a significant way was when Jacob was fleeing Esau 21 years prior to that. But now he's still figuratively fleeing from Esau, but this time there's no place to run and hide. God begins to deal with Jacob. And what happens next is one of the more unique verses you're going to see in Scripture, and it's fixed itself in the minds of many people over the years. So after it said, so Jacob was left alone, it says, a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Okay, we'll pause there for a second. This is a bizarre scene. Jacob's alone with, the with his thoughts, maybe as a campfire or a torch. He's underneath the stars. A man appears. There's no indication he knew who that was at first. I mean, it's probably pretty dark. He's thinking, who is this guy? And what is so easy to do in Scripture is to read a verse and to lose the sense of time, to lose the sense of the scene. Someone comes who Jacob doesn't know, and they just start wrestling. We don't know if someone picked the fight. We, we don't know. But they just start wrestling. And as an aside, the verse says the words, a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Seven words for an encounter that could have been seven hours. I mean, just... It's just so hard to capture it all. So as we, as we take ourselves into that situation, it's really not doing justice to the timing. Hours of struggle. Maybe it's midnight and they're, they're clenched in the dust. Maybe it's 1 a.m. and they haven't changed many positions and the sweat's beating out. Maybe it's 2 a.m. And, and Jacob is, is coming to the end of his strength and looking for a second win. And so they struggled through the night. 3 a.m., 4 a.m. I mean, several hours, there's this epic struggle, and the exhaustion level had to be off the charts. 
You know, something I was, I was looking at, I mean, if you, if you haven't referenced this yet, if you didn't know anything else, how old would you think Jacob is here? 30, 40, I mean, maybe a little older than that. Well, when he stole Esau's blessing, he was 76 years old. And this is 21 years later. My public school math tells me that's 97 years old. And some of you are like, well, no wonder his hip went out of socket during, you know, no offense if you're 97, but hey, that, yeah, that's, a, that's quite the struggle. I don't know with physically, you know, there's all kinds of things, uh, that different, different studies, but 97 years old. But Jacob, the one who took the two shortcuts to stealing his brother's birthright and blessing, now, and his path to redemption has taken two exhausting and long paths. The first one is his whole deal with Laban and getting the wives and getting his wealth. And then there's this one, and his wrestling with God. Later, Jacob will discover that the man really was God himself. Uh, scholars and others uh, believe that this is kind of a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. And you ask, why wouldn't the man, why couldn't the man subdue Jacob? And he could. And he just did it by touching his thigh. The man wrestled with him all night to demonstrate to Jacob, you know, just it doesn't matter how much strength or willpower Jacob had, he was no match for God. And you think, why? But what about the hip and the thigh? I mean, what, what's unique about that? And the thigh is like the strongest muscle in the body. And so what he did was he ultimately neutralized Jacob by crippling him at his point of greatest strength. And it's a parable for us, acted out. It's a, it's, a, it's a lesson for us that Jacob couldn't miss. When you wrestle with God, you always lose. And that's important for us because so often we can try to make God bend our purposes. Yeah, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I think I can make it work. I think I can make this happen. There was a message here years ago called the principle of the path. Some of you may have remembered that, uh, that Chris talked about. And the idea is that there's a pathway spiritually, you know, um, socially, personally, um, physically. There's pathways we can take. Morally, it may be for you. You take a moral pathway, and people say, well, that path goes to a bad place. That path goes to a bad place. You've got to be careful. And what people will say is, well, no, 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 no. I got it figured out. Okay, I'm smart. I'm careful. But the whole principle of the path is that a path goes where a path leads, no matter how smart you are, no, ma no matter what. It, it, it's, it's laws of the, the, the universe. And so the law for us is that when we try to make God bend to what we want to do, we always lose. We always lose. So the mysterious visitor is about to leave, but before he goes, they have a brief conversation. Verse 26. The man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. I mean, it, it, the sun's starting to come up, and they're just struggling. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed Jacob. He blessed him there. And so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it's because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. I love that in verse 26. It said he held on to God until God would bless him. And I think that you can safely assume that if you found yourself uh, when you hold on to God, when it's easier to let go. So often, 
When, when we hold on to God, it's, it's when we, we feel like we have what we want. But can you hold on to God like Jacob when you can't clearly see what lies ahead? And what I love here is the tenacity that Jacob has. The tenacity, it fed into him being a con man. It fed into him being a schemer and to betraying his family. And that tenacity is now working for him. He's got it, his focus in the right direction. He's like, I might be hurting. I might be 97 and old. I might have lost some time. But God, I'm not going to let you go. This is a new determination for him. Often he had channeled it and the ability to achieve his own ends. And now he's realizing that without God, he's nothing. And like Jacob, you and me, sometimes we have to decide, I want this bad enough. So often we wait for things to come easy, but we're like, I want it bad enough. I'm sick of faking it. I'm sick of falling short. I'm sick of my own duplicity. I won't let go. At some point, for us to break whatever cycle we're in, we have to hold on. And I'm I'm just going to say something real quick. Often we associate God's approval of us based on our comfort or based on our circumstances. And we can think, man, I'm in situations going bad. Where is God for me? And there's some serious needs in this room where that's an understandable emotion. And and I'm thankful so many people don't act on it because a marriage is a pretty bad marriage if when things go bad, someone bails. And a relationship with God is not a good relationship if it's based on good circumstances. A principle in Scripture is, will I choose God? Will I choose Jesus no matter the circumstances? And so with yourself, is it, I'm not going to let go, God. I don't see where this is going. It'd kind of be easy to do my own thing, but I know it doesn't lead anywhere. You 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 might not be winning. You might not be the strong one in the wrestling match you're in. Others might have the upper hand, but don't let go. And I love what Jacob does. He's like, I won't let you go unless you bless me. Finally, Jacob is looking for the one who has the power to really bless him. I'm not holding on to status. I'm not holding on to success, but I'm holding on to God. That's what Jacob's saying in this time. You know, it is so easy, and this is even personally for me, sometimes I don't want it bad enough. You know, you get into a relationship with God, you get into a cycle, and you, know, you just kind of get go through the motions, and I don't want it bad enough, like what the tenacity is talking about. I'll follow God's lead if it fits my plans. I'll follow God's lead if it fits my schedule, if it fits my agenda. Can we learn from his, his passion and tenacity that we see here. In verse 27, it says that the man, who's God, asked him, what is your name? And as a recollection, we've heard this before. We heard it in a tent a couple decades before from Isaac. Jacob walked into the tent, and Isaac said, who is it? And Jacob said, I'm Esau. And he stole the blessing from his brother. And so now... It's time for Jacob to get a blessing for himself. The man asked him, what is your name? And Jacob replied, it's Jacob. This time he gets the answer right. Jacob the backstabber, Jacob the heel grabber, Jacob who's always trying to be first, Jacob the deceiver, I'm Jacob. I struggle, I have some issues, but I'm Jacob. And the man then said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. The insight for us there is once he admitted his name, God can give them a new one. It's when you can admit who you are that God can do something with that. 
the front, you're not going to get anywhere. Dealing with the issues, being honest about who you are, being honest about what's in your heart. Once we accept ourselves, our faults, how we don't measure up, it's only then that God can mold us into who he wants us to be. And so he said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, I love this in verse 28, because you've struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. You see, once we give God our labels, he gives us a new one. Failure, divorce, liar, cheater, whatever, whatever the thing that we carry around, he can give us a new name. He can give us a new label. And you don't really need me to say it, but it's relevant. It's in your struggle that God teaches you way more than in your success. It's in your struggle that you come to depend on him, that you come to lean on him. It's in your struggle that you realize that operating on your own power, it's, it's just crazy. It's foolish. But aren't you glad that he sees you in a different way than you see yourself? Aren't you glad he calls you figuratively by a new name? He doesn't call you heel grabber, the rejected one, or the one uh, who let their family down. You're not labeled by God because of your past. And Jacob didn't just get a new name. This is important to know. He got a new identity. Jacob, the heel grabber, no more. Do you know what Israel means? Triumphant with God. That's his new name. It has all kinds of, of richness in there. And I, I heard a pastor in regard to this passage say, it's like, Jacob's saying, Jacob is who I am, but Israel is who he is in me. And you know what's crazy about this whole situation? Is you would expect that after he has the new name of Israel, you would think that that's the only reference to him the rest of his life, is Israel, Israel, Israel. I mean, and you know what's kind of strange? Is that he's referred by both names. Through the rest of, you know, the references to Jacob in Scripture, he's called both. And you wonder, why would he give him a new name and still call him by the old name? Why do you give him a new name if he's not going to use it all the time? One thing is you, you recognize change is just messy. Change is complicated. Just because I have a new name doesn't mean I, have, I don't have the same struggles. It's a process. You see, coming full circle isn't about ignoring the past, but redeeming it. I don't know if you've seen where people put art together and it's like garbage or like wood that people had thrown out and they, you know, they do some stuff and they, they, they create art out of, it, out of it. And the idea is taking something messy and making it beautiful. And God does that with us, restores our hearts. And it's in our remembering where we were because Jacob can't forget where he's been. We can't forget where we've been, but it's in remembering where Jacob had been that we see God's generosity we see his grace and we see his goodness. And ultimately, it's not about focusing on our failure, but focusing on his greatness. And that's called giving him glory. There's, this weekend, there's probably 700-something people who are going to go through this building. And with those 700 people come about 700 different stories. Some are very long stories. I'm not, that's not an age joke, by the way. But some are really long, involved stories of how people got to the point of submitting their lives to God. But some of them, if this were a movie, you would be in the part where there's a lot of tension, there's a lot of conflict, there's a lot of uncertainty, and there's no resolution yet. And in all of these stories, there are deep wounds. There's regret. 
there's, there's struggles. And in all of them, when we ultimately find our sufficiency, when we ultimately find our security and significance in Jesus, it's a special thing because that's why God doesn't ignore Jacob's past because he wants to fill it with meaning and he does the same thing for us. He does the same thing for us because if you've come into a relationship with God, you've noticed not all, this, all the junk doesn't just go away, but he gives it a purpose and he helps you redirect some of that. Years later, Jacob's dead. Happens to us all. Just kidding. Um, the Israelites that came through his family are, are enslaved in Egypt. God appears to a man named Moses through a burning bush and has a conversation. And he says, says to him, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your father sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said, I am who I am. I mean, even if you don't know the Bible, you've seen the movie probably. I am who I am. This is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. That's in Exodus 3.14, pretty well-known passage and description. But what comes next, you probably didn't think about as much until the day. We focused on the other verse, but in Exodus 3.15, the next thing God also said to Moses is, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and pause here for a second. Wouldn't you think that he's going to say, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Israel? Because Israel's Jacob's good side, right? It's his success story. It's the finished product, but he doesn't say that. God says, say to him, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. You see, that's what God always goes against human wisdom. That's kind of how you know sometimes things are from him. If we were planning it out, we would want to put a, a good face on it and have the success story focusing on that. If you're God and you want to make yourself known, wouldn't you want to be the God of the success story of, of those who are changed? But what he's saying to Moses and what he's saying to you and what he's saying to me is he's like, no matter the past, no matter the struggle, I'm the God of Jacob too. There was grace in the Old Testament, by the way. I'm the God of that part of you that you don't want anyone to see. I'm not just the God of your success. I'm the God of your struggle. Practically, can you be honest? I mean, there's all kinds of stories, all kinds of paths in here, all kinds of journeys. Can you be honest about that which holds you back from a life surrendered to God? I mean, you may... Make excuses verbally, but right now, as you listen to your spirit, you listen to your heart, and you listen to God, can you be honest about that which holds you back from a life surrendered to God? Are you living a me-first life? I mean, you really have no concerns over serving others or putting God first. I mean, it, just not, it may not even be on your radar. You know, are you, are you going through any motions? Are you trying to have God bless who you pretend to be? Or if you still have stuff you need to deal with in your relationship with God. Because it didn't work out so well for Jacob for 20 years, lost years with his brother. And is that a way to really live? And so this morning, God's inviting all of us, whether you've been on that path before or not, to merge your story with his. You know, and I know there's a lot of stories in here of running from God, of rebellion, of doing your own thing. And I think we all know it's a hamster wheel. You don't get anywhere when you seek, seek for places outside of God. Are you going to keep up that facade, that image, that 
costume, if you use the word like we did with Jacob, or are you going to come out of your own wrestling match with God today and say, God, I will not let you go. You know, every time you have the opportunity to make a change in your life and you don't, it's easier to say no the next time. And so I ask you today, seriously, if, if you're waiting, I need another couple years to make a decision for Christ. I need another couple years to, to get my life right. I'm doing some other things right now. I just can't do it now. What you're essentially increasing is the chance that you're just never going to get back on track. And again, there's so many people in so many different places in this room. And so I'm going to ask that you really consider that and you listen to the Spirit of God today. What is it in your life? I mean, do you need to do some heart work? Are there some things where you're, you're putting this on and you're not working on the heart? And maybe for some people, maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus or a decision to be baptized. And you've put it off. And we haven't talked a ton about those today, but it's pretty obvious for some what you need to do. And so if that's you, when we pray, you know, there's a card right in front of you. You can make a note. I want to make a commitment to Christ. I've, I've been doing my own thing. I want to rededicate my life. Another is maybe you just haven't followed through in obedience with baptism. In Scripture, unless someone was nailed to a cross, everyone who accepted Christ got baptized because that's what you do. And you're never going to be good enough if that's what you're waiting for. So consider that. Consider the decision God asks of you today. And don't leave this place letting until... He blesses you. Don't let go. Let's pray. God, right now, we just, I know there's all kinds of stuff going on in all kinds of hearts. I know there are, even with my own, as I've interfaced with you on this, this whole thing, and I've, I've wrestled with this myself. Lord, so often, we really like to do life our way. And today, you bring us to a time of decision. For some, that may be a change and what they do, and who they surround themselves with. It may be a real decision to follow you. God, it may be a decision to finally submit our lives to you, even though we've, we've walked the walk. Lord, we can finally talk the talk. God, we, we just submit that to you today, and I just pray your Holy Spirit works on hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen.